Listimo Files, home to the world's biggest stars. Get your hands up! Live on your radio. And you can check us out on your socials. <laughs> your favorite person, Serena. Serena! I'm ready for you to go ahead and take it away. This, this is the Bellissimo Files. It's the Bellissimo Files on spin. And now, your host, yes. Serena Bellissimo. Happy Pride! How's it going? It's Serena here with you for the next couple of hours, celebrating Pride and having a good time on today's show. We're going to be catching up with the stars of Love, Victor. They're going to be talking all about the designer steals. Mm-hmm. What did they take from the Love, Victor set? You'll have to tune in to find out. I'll also be catching up with Baz Luhrmann, and he tells me why he didn't cast Harry Styles in the role of Alva's Elvis Presley in his phenomenal film, Elvis. And up next, I'm going to introduce you to this week's one to watch, Jess Mayer. Oh, the Bellissimo Files. One to watch. This week's one to watch is a Ken Mayer-based singer-songwriter whose latest single, Summertime Song, has been played in the US, South Africa and France. It's Jess Mayer. Jess, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, honestly. Really happy to be here. Congratulations on the new single. Um, You put up an Instagram post and it said, I'm so delighted to share this song with you as it means so much to me. Why is this one so important to you? Um, Basically, I wrote the song in like quite a dark time during lockdown. And um, it's when we couldn't see a lot of people and we had to stay indoors all the time. And I thought it would be like a nice idea just to like write a happy song so people can like relate to it and remember that there's always good times coming. Um, Even if we can't see each other, there will be a time when we'll be able to meet up again and have good times and, you know, reminisce on the the old times when we could meet up and everything. So it means quite a lot to me because like, you know, it was my experiences and if it can help someone else, then that's amazing. You know what I mean? How does it feel releasing a song that you did write in a time of darkness now when there is so much light? Um, It's really good. It's really good to like see the positive feedback and see that people are happy, you know, with the song and um, that there's an amount of people that actually like can relate to the song and it's brought them happiness and like if it's made someone happy that's all that matters to me. And tell me about the video. I love this video. The lyric video on on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. That was filmed in London. I think it was like two months ago, a month and a half ago and it was the team were amazing. Like they're so lovely. Girlfriend creative were just amazing. Like the photographer, Natalie, everyone was just so friendly made me feel really comfortable and we just had like a really fun day like out in the sun and like we used different props and stuff and it was just it was such a great day like I'm really happy with the team like being able to like put together such a cool like lyric video it looks amazing and it fits the theme and everything I'm very happy with it. A lot of people are going to be listening going hold on at the top of the interview you said that this song has been played out in the US, South Africa, France. I didn't mention the UK and Denmark. How does that happen? How do you get airplay in those countries? Um, it's all thanks to my label, honestly. Like, I'm so thankful for them. Like, they're an amazing team to work with, like Paragon, Unreal. Um, and they they have, like, a, they put a lot of work into it, like, you know, behind the scenes and everything. But um, I'm just glad that people around the world can relate to the song. You know, even if it's not summer in those parts of the world, it's nice to be able to hear a summer song and then, like, feel happy and remember that, oh, yeah, summer is going to come around again. You know what I mean? Yeah. You were living in Dubai. How long ago were you in Dubai? And why did you choose to come to Kenmare? So I was in Dubai for about 10 years, but I lived there. I moved from Dubai to Ireland in 2016. I think it was April of 2016. 
Um, but the reason like we chose Ken Mary, me and my family, is because it was similar to South Africa, like the nature and the people were lovely. Um, and just everything was just really nice there. Like it was a good education system, everything. But Dubai as well was also very lovely. So is that where you're originally from? South Africa? Yeah, originally from South Africa. I was born there and then I moved to Dubai when I was about six or seven. And yeah. is Ireland home now? Or do you think you'd ever go back? Um, I don't know. I'd love to go back to see my family. Like, honestly, like everyone's based in Cape Town and Johannesburg. So like, it's hard not being able to see them for so long because, you know, like gatherings and stuff, I can't go and see them. But um, I definitely would go back probably in a few years just to catch up with everyone and everything. How are we finding the music scene in Ireland? Oh, it's amazing. There's so many talented people in Ireland. Honestly, like yeah. everyone you meet is just so talented and all the songs that come out, it's just insane. But I wouldn't like be the artist that I am today without the, the Irish music scene. Like I wouldn't be because like I submerged myself in it. When I first came here, like my boyfriend introduced me to like the trad scene. So he was a he's a very talented like banjo player and a trad musician. So like I would go to gigs with him. He taught me guitar and I basically started writing poetry and then I put the poetry to guitar and that's how the songs kind of came to life, you know. And it was really good to get the confidence to sing in front of people because you know at trad sessions everyone takes turns singing and stuff so it was really cool so Jess what are the plans for the summer and beyond so basically my plan is to just release more songs probably in autumn around then um, but I'm just working on myself as an artist and like trying to develop myself and then put more music out so that people can hopefully relate and find something meaningful in, in the songs so the plan at the moment anyway if people want to follow and see what you're up to, uh, give us your social handles. So my Instagram is ijessmeyer, M-E-Y-E-R. On TikTok, it's ijessm. And then on Facebook, it's also ijessmeyer. And Twitter is also ijessmeyer. Everything is ijessmeyer, basically. Well, Jess, good luck with all of that. Thank you. Thanks so much. Before I let you go, will you introduce your new single for us? Hi, it's Jess Mayer, and this is my brand new single, Summertime Song, on the Bellissimo Files. This is the Bellissimo Files. Exclusive to Spin. Disney Plus's Love, Victor is back for its third and really sadly its final season. This season, the Creekwood High Gang are thinking about life after high school. But as always, there's plenty of heartache mixed in with joy as old relationships break up. But there's new ones that are beginning as well. Anthony Caven and Ava Capri are back as Raheem and Lucy. And I love the fact that I got to catch up with them. Anthony, Ava, great to meet you both. Hi, nice to meet you. Anthony, I saw you say, um, I can't wait for everyone to see what we've come up with for season three. What can fans expect? I feel like fans can expect the perfect ending to a perfect love story. And I'm going to leave it at that. Ava, when you found out that this was going to be the final season, what was the first thing you did? The first thing that I did, as soon as we found out it was official, because we had been told that maybe, who knows, that it would be the last. Everyone just was, like, in the group chat, like, sending the most, like, loving, like, moving messages, being like, this has been the most amazing experience. And, like, yeah, this this has to just really loves each other. Anthony, you've said that I really do feel like this show has changed my life. How has this impacted your life? I feel like the show came at a time in my life when I needed it most. Um, I was at a point in my career where I wasn't sure if, you know, this whole acting thing was for me anymore. I had a lot of self-doubt and a lot to figure out. Um, This show kind of like came at the perfect time and really turned things around for me. Um, not to mention I have friends for life now and 
memories that I'll hold dearly for the rest of my life. I mean, I told everybody when we finished and, you know, saw the trailer for the first time just a few weeks ago, I was like, I will constantly compare every job I have going forward to this one because this was just so perfect in every possible way. That's actually so lovely to hear because, you know, sometimes shows like this have such a great impact on the world and then you hear about behind the scenes it wasn't so great. Ava, what did you learn about yourself by getting to play a character like Lucy? I loved, I loved playing Lucy so much because I, I felt like I wasn't, out when I was in high school and there was something about playing someone who was out and 17 that felt very like healing for me in a way yeah it was really cool because I I thought back and I was like wow this wasn't exactly my story but like how cool if it if it could have been and isn't it amazing to think that this hopefully is what other teens like this will just be their stories. It's crazy to think about, yeah, because uh, I'm such a fan of the show and, like, I, yeah, I can't, I'm really excited for people to to get to experience what we, what we made. Before I let you go, I want to know, I asked uh, a couple of the others, what did you take from set? What have you taken with you as a memento? Ooh. Um, I, like, there were, like, things in in lake's kitchen that like i definitely took like a bunch of olive oil and things like that like really <laughs> i'm like using right now i took one of raheem's designer bags i went in for the kill anthony that's what i expected to hear but ava isn't isn't on her own i've been told yeah. kettles i've been told fake baguettes anthony that was Bella, I was like, I'm taking this bag. This is like a thousand dollar bag and no one's ever going to use it again. So it's fine. Well, I think it should be a big thank you present. Ava, you need to go back and get more. I need to wrap and just say, I I just want to say thank you. Thank you for putting this out there. And I'm glad you guys enjoyed it as much as the world is enjoying it. Thank you. Yeah. I love them and I love, love Victor. It is available now, the final season on Disney+. Plus. Let's go! Demolissable Files. What to watch. What to watch. Joining me on the line now is Deidre Malumbu with some great picks for this week. Dee, how's it going? It's going very well. It's a big week for cinema, isn't it? It really is. It's an exciting week. It's one that I've really been looking forward to because I feel like we have been talking about Elvis the movie for maybe six months. And I feel like oh. the promo has been happening for that long and it's finally Oh, here. absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. I think that people have been very, very excited to see what it will be like to see Elvis Pre- an Elvis Presley biopic, what it'll be like to see um, Austin pa- Butler portray this absolutely, you know, iconic musical figure. Yeah. Now, let's. we're also talking about something completely different, the black phone, but we'll get back mm-hmm. to that in a sec because I am all about Elvis right now. You don't have to be a fan of Elvis to enjoy this, but tell me what is going on in this film because it's not just as straightforward as Elvis's story. No, it's not. I mean, it's very Baz Luhrmann. If anybody has seen his works like Romeo and Juliet, Moulin Rouge and The Great Gatsby, even if you look at the trailer, you're like, this has Baz Luhrmann all over yeah. it. But essentially, story-wise, we're following the rise of the career of the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. And the story is told largely through the eyes of his manager, Colonel Tom Parker, who is played in this film by Tom Hanks. Yeah, well, let's take a clip and then come back and tell you why we love this so much. I hope you loved it, Dee. Hold on, we'll find I out did. after the clip. Oh, good. He's a young singer from Memphis, Tennessee. 
give him a warm hayride welcome to a Mr. Elvis Presley. In that moment, I watched that skinny boy transform into a superhero. Well, you may go to college, you may go to school, you may have been Cadillac, but don't you pick nobody's room now, baby. A clip there from Elvis, and Dee, I was squilling when I heard that clip. It's just so, so good, isn't it? Oh, I really, really enjoyed this film, I have to say. Obviously, there's a lot um, kind of riding on the shoulders of Austin Butler. And I had heard, you know, that apparently Elvis Presley's family has really approved of the performance. Um, his granddaughter, actress Riley Keough, has spoken a lot on, um, you know, social media about how uh, much her family have enjoyed his uh, performance and have been really proud of him. And I have to say, I thought he really worked in this. I thought that he was beautiful and enthusiastic and determined and naive when he needed to be and, and and youthful and kind of alternated between shyness and confidence, which I thought was really interesting. And I mean, when it came to his musical performances, that wow. energy, that athleticism he brought, I thought he was brilliant. He was amazing. And I think with the role of Elvis as well, you need an actor because Elvis is such an icon. You mm-hmm. need an actor that you don't really know. Like uh, Austin Butler started off in the Carrie Diaries on um, the CW network, which was the, the TV show, but, uh, but the prequel, sorry, to Sex and the City. Um, And, you know, so Baz wanted someone who had a little bit of a profile but not a massive profile because there were rumours that he was workshopping Harry Styles and Miles Teller for this role. Yeah, that's right. I think Harry Styles actually has gone for some like kind of really interesting auditions over the years. But I actually think, yeah, that it actually suited the film better to have a face um, that that probably isn't as well known like Austin Butler's. Um, because that's that was kind of what happened with Elvis Presley. Yeah. He kind of just had one of those like pretty faces. But it was it was his performances that really kind of captured um, the audience. And that is like so effectively portrayed here. And as well, Austin Butler had the job of, you know, um, depicting the more tragic element of um, Elvis Presley's life, particularly in kind of the latter years. And I thought he did a really good job at that as well. Tom Hanks, I think, deserves a lot of credit as well for playing Colonel Tom Parker. It's a very kind of different role for Tom Hanks. Obviously, we're so used to seeing him as the hero, but here he is the villain, but he's almost quite cartoonish and over the top, even like slightly camp in his performance. But again, it just suits the Baz Luhrmann aesthetic. So like I said, if you've seen his movies before, this is Baz Luhrmann all over it. You've got the colourful, flashy cinematography, almost hyper editing speed. You've got a booming soundtrack, um, these over-the-top performances. But you know what? I actually think that it really did work. I know that there will probably be like, you know, the die-hard Elvis Presley fans out there that they may may have like a very kind of distinct and specific idea of Elvis in their minds. But I would say when you go into this, have as open mind as possible because I think you'll actually enjoy it all the more for it. Exactly. And look, if Elvis's family are approving mm-hmm. of this, you know, it's saying something. Also, the fact that you and I, and I'm going to say me more than you, always complain when something it goes over two hours. This is two mm-hmm. hours and 39 minutes. D, not only did I not feel that two hours and 39 minutes, I sat through this twice. 
Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. I started to feel a little bit towards the end. <laughs> I mean, at that, they did have a lot of ground to cover. I mean, you're you're covering the 50s, 60s, 70s here. Um, we travelled through Memphis, Hollywood, Vegas. So Baz Luhrmann, he did have a lot of kind of responsibility here. And I think that you did need that longer running length to yeah. really give credit to this story. So I think that that running length, um, it does it does work. I think maybe maybe about 10 minutes could have been trimmed here okay. and there, I'll, but it was still very good. I'll give you 10 minutes. And after that, you will get, do you know what? Go see this on the biggest, biggest screen possible. And after it, you are going to be obsessed with not only Austin Butler, but also Olivia de Jong, who plays um, Priscilla, Elvis's wife. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, we can't go on about it enough. Go check it out at the cinema. I give it a five. What do you give it, Dee? Like I said, a little long four stars for me, but it's still definitely the topic of the week. Okay. Now, if you're not interested at all in the Elvis film, there is another film, The Black Phone. What's going on here? Yep, so this is kind of every summer I feel like there's a big horror release and that is um, the black phone for this summer. So it is set in 1978 in a suburban Colorado town where a child abductor and murderer known as the Grabber has been taking a number of victims. So five children have vanished altogether. The police have no leads. Eventually the Grabber takes a 13-year-old named Finney and he keeps the child in a soundproof basement and Finney starts to uh, get these calls from a disconnected phone with hints on how to escape. And at the same time his little sister Gwen is helping the police to find her brother with her mysterious visions. Okay, this sounds a bit too full on for me, so I'm not going to play a clip. Just quickly, (laughs) (laughs) I'm taking that executive decision. Just quickly, um, does it work as a horror? Are you going to be freaked out? I think that it does work as a horror. I mean, I think that Scott Derrickson, who's the director here, people will know he did uh, Deliver Us From Evil. He did Doctor Strange. He did The Exorcism of Emily Rose and Sinister. So he knows horror very well. And I think it's interesting that he kind of establishes in the first part of the film that there's so much horror before the supernatural stuff even starts because the children's father is a drunk. And there are some quite disturbing scenes there. There's some bullying in it as well. And it gets like quite violent, quite vicious. For me, the main uh, thing that worked um, in this movie was Ethan Hawke. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Again, we're seeing an actor in a role that we don't normally see him in. He's playing the villain. I thought he was so, so creepy and sinister and intimidating. It'll be interesting to see if the Black Phone does very well in the box office. I think that we could see the grabber maybe return for future um, sequels because we know that horror franchises, you know, they love a great antagonist. So he was kind of the main thing in it that worked. Um, I don't know if horror fans are going to be super scared. There weren't too many jump scares, but to be honest, I was quite relieved at that because I don't like <laughs> too many jump scares. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it's kind of an interesting one because it, it's almost a film of two halves. I almost preferred the first half to the second half. I think that horrors always have a tough time when they build and build and build of kind of um, delivering on that big climax. I don't know if this film quite did that, but I think going to see it for Ethan Hawke is worth it. Yeah, and that's the only thing, I th- only reason why I think I'd say it, but I'm not going to because it's a horror. Um, but if you are a horror fan, what are you going to give it out of five? I think for horror fans, I'm going to give it three out of five stars. Um, so I think that if you're a fan of the genre, by all means, check it out. If not, uh, like I said, not too many jump scares, but it is creepy. So. Brilliant. Well, Dee, thanks a million for that. Next week, you'll be back with something completely different, the Minions. Um, so we look forward to talking <laughs> to you then. Thanks, Serena. Thanks, Dee. If you want to find out what else is showing in cinemas, tune in to We Love Movies tomorrow morning from 8am with Gordon Hayden. This is The Bellissimo Files. Exclusive to Spin. You're listening to The Bellissimo Files on Spin where I'm about to get just a little bit giddy because you heard me while we were talking about the Elvis film with Deidre Malumbi in the last hour of the film of the show. We were talking about the film and I told you how much I love the film 
You don't need to be an Elvis fan to enjoy it. And if you are thinking of seeing it this weekend, please go see it on the biggest screen you can see it on because it is a feast for the eyes and for the ears. Like, the music in that is phenomenal. And there's a great soundtrack as well that Baz has released to go alongside the film. But... Back to why I'm so giddy. Baz Luhrmann is one of my all-time favourite film directors. If you don't know the name, you definitely know his films. He's done the likes of um, Romeo and Juliet, Moulin Rouge, The Great Gatsby. Now he turns his eye to the icon that is Elvis Presley and he has done a phenomenal job. Baz, I was so excited when I heard that you were going to take on the Elvis story. This this movie idea has been sitting with you for about a decade. You start production in Australia, you get closed down because of COVID. Is yeah. it true after all the work you put in, you went, hold on a sec, maybe I don't have to make this movie. Maybe I'm off the hook. Tell yeah. me about that, fit, was, that feeling. Yeah, I just, you know, they're always like, I mean, I could research and live a film forever, but making them, it's a burden, you know. Well, this responsibility, and I'm not a particularly responsible person. So I was like, oh, maybe, like, I can have done all that fun bit. And now, you know, I was sort of in lockdown in a very nice place on the river, drinking too much wine and, you know, dressing up for dinner. And for a while there, but actually after a couple of weeks, I was like, oh, then it won't get done. And it's kind of, I thought, important. So, yeah, it was just, I'm just glad we got through it. Austin was incredible. Like, I was watching it and I yeah. was going, is this actual concert footage yeah. they're using? Like, it mm. was just incredible. But before Austin was on your radar, you did do workshops with Miles Teller and Harry Styles. What mm. were they like? I mean, they're incredibly gifted in their own way. I mean, with Harry particularly, I mean, um, Harry is an Elvis fan. And he can really act. I mean, Harry is an actor. And I would run towards working with Harry on something. And he's musically gifted. And he's kind of a modern Elvis in many ways. You know, like Harry's style, which is very fluid, you know, fingernail polish and a feather boa and, like, really cool leather pants. I mean, like, Harry's going to be a great actor. He's going to be like Frank Sinatra or something, you know, great actor, great singer. I couldn't wait to work with him. But the thing with Harry was, he's Harry Styles, and, and he's already an icon in his own way. And I think it just felt like a mixing the metaphor, whereas Austin just came out of the heavens. Like, I mean, he he sent me this tape, you know. He'd lost his mother at the same age, you know. The tape was so emotional. The moment he walked in, he just, he just lived as Elvis. And I think they share this similar kind of incredibly vulnerable hole in their heart from having lost their mums at an early age and it's made him like so sensitive and and yet when he's on stage he's so confident it's this weird paradox that Elvis has like off stage the most vulnerable yeah. person on stage this kind of transformation that is almost religious in the effect it has on the audience you know so I don't know it was just a gift you said it yourself you've been living in the Elvis world mm. for so many years. You're mm. on the massive media blitz right now. Yeah. When this opens for the audience, this is a beginning for us, but for you, that's yeah. the sort of the end, the start of the end. How do you walk away from that, Baz, after such <clears throat> a, a long involvement? Well, it depends on how we kick out, but, you know, I've got to draw a line at least a few months afterwards, and I go on a sort of methadone program, you know, which is sort of like I'm going to have to find something that's equally scary but nothing to do with the movies, you know, like 
just because yeah. the adrenaline just doesn't switch off, you know. You don't. I've been there before, and the first thing that happens is you get incredibly ill, and you know, laying under a palm tree somewhere drinking a you know pina colada doesn't exactly fix five years of being in an Elvis world, you know. So I'll have to find something. Yeah. You know, sometimes I get I go to an airport and say, right, Q8, okay, what's that like? Probably not a good choice, actually, but you know. <laughs> Once I did it and I ended up in Siberia. Yeah. I love all the different themes you explore in this, but there's one moment where Elvis is going through a real identity crisis yeah. and his mama turns around and says to him, you're losing yourself, baby. Yeah. You need to start believing in yourself. Mm. I love what you do, but you are so unique. And I'm sure when you started off, there were all these outside voices telling you what you should and shouldn't do. Mm. How did you block those out and believe in yourself, Baz? Well, there's a line in the movie that's actually my little mantra. I just stuck it in there, which is what Elvis says. You know, you've got to listen to everyone you love, but in the end you've got to listen to yourself. And I think I've always believed in yeah. that. Like, you know, listen to everyone, but then go in a corner and just... Maybe not what you think is the right thing to do, but what do you feel is the right thing to do? And, you know, I've made a lot of choices and I do a lot of th stuff that... So, I mean, it's not like anyone wanted a film about boring dancing or Shakespeare... And, you know, <laughs> I mean, they don't, the studios don't come to you and say, look, could you really do a great, you know, <laughs> we really want a, you know, a, a version of The Great Gatsby. You know that book at school everybody hates to read? Could you make that into a movie? So I don't know why I'm wedded to that, but I am. And I, I just uh, live it and then I have to debrief from it. Baz, thank you for living it because I've always wanted to tell you this. As a kid in Australia watching Moulin Rouge, I remember going into that cinema with my mates and my mind was blown when I came out because I went, oh, my God, this movie has showed me if I believe it, I can do it, and I still live yeah. to, that, uh, to that mantra now because of you. So thank you. No, well, that's, you know what, that really, that's beautiful. And honestly, if one person gets anything from something I've made, it makes it useful, that it makes it worthwhile. So thanks. He is phenomenal, and so is Elvis. If you get a chance, check it, check it out. It is in cinemas now. Break, 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 break it down. The Melissimo Files. What did I miss? Five, four, three, two, one. It seems like at the moment there is so much going on, gigs everywhere, um, so much news. So it is apt that producer Aoife is in with us now to tell us, what did we miss, Aoife? There is lots going on. There really is, and I was away during the week, so I feel like I missed so much that this is an educational segment for me too. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I did miss during the week was uh, Harry Styles. I was away for that. I would have loved to have gone to see him. It just looked like the most incredible gig. It seemed like everybody had a ball. And as if we couldn't love Harry anymore, take a listen to this. What's happening in that clip? Yeah, so what is happening there is Harry actually stopped the concert twice during his performance because he was really concerned about the people opening the barriers around the stage and how much they're being squashed and pushed. So twice he stopped it to go, hold on, are you okay? He could see someone struggling, stopped the music, got everyone to take a step back, called in security to make sure the person was okay and waited for all that to clear until he started singing again. I love him. Like, he's just, he doesn't seem like fame has gone to his head and yeah. he really connects with fans as people. Do you know what I was thinking too, though? He's so used to that 
stuff from his One Direction days because the absolute fandomonium that took place with One Direction, I'm sure there was some incidents that like maybe were really concerning to him. So I'm sure he's always just pushing to make sure it doesn't happen at his. Actually, talking about the One Direction days, go over to our Instagram. We've put up a great clip on Instagram of Harry when he came to visit us here in Spin as part of One Direction because on stage he was doing the, is it three for a euro? Oh, that was, I really apologise. That was such a bad accent. But Two Toblerones. <laughs> go over to our Insta, uh, Instagram grid and you'll see that there. Um, but that's not the only thing that got you excited this week. Oh what my else? God, I can't believe I nearly missed this. And <laughs> if you are around the same age as me, this will probably give away my age. I was a huge, huge fan of the movie Matilda. It was one of my absolute favourites growing up. I was just obsessed with everything about it. The idea that this normal little girl could get magic power Whereas, of course, everyone is convinced it could happen to them. <laughs> and I just, everything about it, Roald Dahl, of course, incredible. That was also turned into a stage show in London and has been extremely popular over there at launch in 2011. Now, the movie is coming this year. We're getting a musical movie of Matilda. So not only is it going to be the story, but it's going to bring the music from the stage show to it. And we got the trailer last week, which I... I'm just so excited about. <laughs> and the thing that we can't get over is how unrecognisable Emma Thompson Emma Thompson is, is Miss Trunchbull. Yeah. I actually, when I was watching the trailer, I was like, that's not Emma Thompson. That can't be Emma Thompson, but it is. She's totally unrecognisable. There's a great cast in there and um, the, the songs from the musical are amazing. You can check them out online anywhere now because the soundtrack is up. So do listen to them beforehand is my recommendation. Now we know it's festival season. It is. You're going to one today. I you? am. I'm going to the biggest 90s festival down in Punchestown today. Aoife looks great. If you can see her in studio, she actually looks great. She's all glammed up for it already. But if you, you do want to go to a festival but you can't get off your couch, Glastonbury is on the BBC at the This moment. is one of my favourite events of the TV schedule every year. How do they... I, I don't know what they do with... The, obviously, it's a lot of money, right? But the way they present Glastonbury, it's the closest you will get to feeling like you're there. Yeah, it and it's actually, phenomenal. It's stuff that's even worth recording and watching back if you can't watch yeah, it live. Definitely. Yeah. So last night, I caught the tail end of um, Billie Eilish's set. Oh, wow. She she bro- she made a record. She broke records last night being the youngest ever headline act at Glastonbury. Wow. And you may have heard it there in the news. She actually got overwhelmed at one stage because she was on stage. And could you imagine, Aoife, because those crowds are massive. Yeah. They're chanting your name and you can't even hear yourself because all you can hear is them chanting your name. I'm so thrilled for her. But listen, if you do want to see, watch Glastonbury. We've picked out a few of the highlights. Olivia Rodrigo, you can watch her set 7pm, BBC One. Haim are on BBC Two at 8. Megan The Stallion is on BBC Three at 11.30. Tomorrow, this is a strange one for spin, but... It is. She will be phenomenal on the legend stage at six forty-five. Diana Ross. And there we go. That could be another Pride anthem. There you go. <laughs> um, Lord and Years and Years at eight o'clock. BBC Two. Kendrick Lamar nine thirty. BBC Two. Um, and that's all tomorrow. So I feel like I'm going to be glued to the TV tomorrow. Yeah. And as you said, though, record it and watch it back. Yeah. Because definitely. the production on that is phenomenal. Yeah. Patty Smith is a presenter, media commentator, podcaster, and a dis- and a disability rights activist with cerebral palsy. Just recently, he joined Human Collective as head of community. During Pride Month, he has been focusing on delivering diversity and inclusion talks. And I'm thrilled to say he joins us now on the Bliss My Files. Patty, happy Pride. Thank you. Up the gaze and the whole community. <laughs> what does pride mean to you? I think it makes me think of the people that have come in the past that got us to this moment. 
at the end of the day, Pride is a protest. Mm-hmm. And I want to protest for our trans brothers and sisters, for the people that can't hold hands walking down the street. Um, you know, for everyone who doesn't feel like they can be themselves, we have the privilege that we can do that here in Ireland to an extent. But I think it shows that there is still a lot of work to be done. So if you can please join, please do. You used an interesting word there, privilege. And I think it is us who have the privilege. If you are asking why is pride necessary, you are coming from a a place of privilege, aren't you? Exactly, exactly. And especially I want to say from a disabled point of view, like being disabled and gay in the community, that's tough as well because we we find it hard to find our space within the gay community. So we need to put a lens on that. And, you know, if you're disabled and queer within the community, 80% of them people don't actually want to come to Pride because they don't feel welcome. So that's something we need to look at as well. Can you talk to me about that? Because there was a really interesting um, Instagram post you put up and you did, you were talking about this and you said, I am a proud gay disabled man, but so many times being disabled and gay is seen as it doesn't mix or people say that must be tough, but I am happy and we deserve to have joy and be seen. You know, I've really struggled my whole life with feeling attractive and finding my place within the gay community because a lot of emphasis is on image or that, you know, that six pack um, and being disabled, you have a different type of body. Um, and like, if you look at like floats, they're not to say they're not disability accessible or a lot of the clubs that are gay clubs aren't accessible for wheelchairs. I have the privilege that I walk on crutches so I'm able to get up and down. Maybe tough, but I'm still able to do it. But if I was in a wheelchair, I wouldn't be able to go to that club. Um, and I understand that privilege. But for me, it really makes me understand why I feel so insecure sometimes around sometimes this time of year and and in some ways the community and I want to shine light that we deserve to be seen, we deserve to be heard. And yes, I am a happy, proud, disabled gay man, but, you know, like the world is built for able-bodied people. Why isn't it built for disabled people as well? Because we've been around a lot, a lot longer than those buildings. Disabled people have been around since the start of time. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I think that that excuse that the building's been around for years <laughs> is not good enough anymore. Change. I know everybody's story is different, right? Yes. But, so we're going to talk about your story, though. How have you overcome those challenges, be they societal challenges or, as mm. you mentioned there, some internal challenges? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, I haven't waved a magic wand and just overcome them. Um, you know, I still, I still struggle with them to this day. But what I have done is I've realised these are the cards I've been dealt and it's up to me how I use them. Um, and I'm not going to allow somebody like society tell me or somebody tell me or a building let me know that I'm not allowed to live a full and happy life because of something I've been born with. So I think it all really comes down to mindset and realising that I can't change my condition, but what I can't change is my outlook and how I'm going to use that as a power rather than a weakness. There's been a lot of me in that Mm. conversation, but it doesn't just come down to you. And I think sometimes we put it back onto people and go, okay, well, you need to teach us. We need to be led by you. No, Mm. actually, society needs to change at the way it looks at stuff. But they do, and I absolutely agree. Um, But, you know, society won't change overnight. And I think it, it comes down to individuals deciding that they are going to be part of the change. 
So then it will be a bigger societal movement. The reason why I wanted to get into media in the first place is because media is where you get real change in terms of like if people see it, Mm-hmm. They believe it. Yeah. So if they see a disabled person in, in a place of fun and having fun on TV, they believe disabled people can have fun or be desired on TV. That they believe people can be desired. It all comes down to that funnel of society kind of changing their mindset and pivoting on what they believe. Yeah, so it must have been big for you when, like, it'd be big for anyone who has been told you're about to be the host of an RTE show. What was that yeah. moment like for you? I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, you know, the message actually came in through LinkedIn on my profile, like a production company had seen me. Hold on, does LinkedIn actually work? I've never I heard know. of anybody get a job through LinkedIn. I know, it's <laughs> mad. So it was like an English production company who saw a repeat of my first dates episode over in the UK. Yeah. Thought I'd be good for this type of show because it was around people who had different types of bodies and didn't fit into societal's norm of the high street. And, you know, they, they'd walk in and not feel safe or yeah. like that they could have their own space. So it was all about that. And they saw me on it. They were like, he, he could be a good presenter. So I had to do a screen test. But yeah, sometimes LinkedIn does work, Serena. <laughs> sometimes it does. Now I'm working with the BBC, which is great. Um, so you just casually threw that out, Paddy. Now uh, I'm working with the BBC. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I got um, a creator residency with the BBC where I'm helping them create more disabled content that is like fresh and fun and you know that like people will be able to digest uh but in a very foot like in a very fun and fresh way but has a po- positive message behind it and hopefully i'll be the presenter of it is, is the idea patty that's amazing congratulations as well as that you are also doing a lot of diversity and inclusivity talks can you tell me about those Yes. Um, so I'm working with Human Collective as the head of community, which is a sustainable uh, clothing brand. And it's all, and its whole ethos is around uh, like racial equality, LGBT equality, and just opportunity equality. And I just love the message of it. And I love kind of, you know, believing what you wear. And it's, it's just a gorgeous brand to be part of. So when I got the opportunity to be part of it, I really realized that like, you know what, I think another avenue we can go down is diversity and inclusion talks here and allowing people to know that like, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. Being a disabled person in in a place of like power within a business, you know, that's unheard of. And I wanted to show kind of like a a diverse workforce is a powerful workforce. Paddy, what would you say to someone who's listening today and is just not able for whatever reason to be their authentic self? I'd say not to be so hard on yourself. I'd say you have your own journey to go on um, and you don't have to put a label on anything. Um, I think these labels are dangerous. I think um, within within the society now, you don't have to choose whether you're gay, straight, bi. You know, you don't have to choose that. You can go on your own journey. You can decide your own faith. You know what I mean? You can decide what path you want to go on um, and, you know, it will come. I love that. I'm going to end it on that note. Patty Smith, thank you so much for joining us and happy thank Pride. You. Happy Pride. Patty Smith there, the head of community at Human Collective, who are a sustainable clothing company whose mission, I love this because their message, their mission is to spread a message of equality through their clothing and all their clothing is made from um, sustainable organic material and it has the equal symbol on it. And for Pride, they've got Pride t-shirts, which are available not just this month, but 
all year through. The equal sign is in the rainbow colours. It's absolutely gorgeous. And what they're doing is for every purchase made of this T-shirt, Human Collective are going to make a donation to the LGBT Island Helpline. You can follow them on Instagram at We Are Human Collective. Producer Aoife is back with us and this week we are so excited because there is so many new music but from massive stars. Yes, and this week we're playing a little bit different. Usually I play you two songs and you head off and vote, but instead this week we're playing a Pride Anthem out instead, which you've been voting on for the last hour. We will be playing it out in a couple of minutes, but while you're getting your last few minute votes in at Official Spin Run on Instagram, we're going to take a listen to some of the biggest new tracks. Since we just had them on, we might as well start with Little Nas X. She's all on my life, uh, she's all on my side, yeah. They don't want it like that, they want me to die, yeah. She's all on my life, uh, she's all on my side, yeah. They don't want it like that, they want me to die Don't try me, you better say this for somebody else Don't try me, cause I can't be late to the party, yeah. I'm really embarrassed to say this and I probably shouldn't say it, so I'm going to say it. Um, I honestly thought when we he first came out with Old Town Road that Little Nas X was a one-hit wonder. And I really didn't like Old Town Road. It was all the stuff that came after that that really blew me away. There's something so catchy about the beats that are in his songs, and he's loved on this one with um, someone called Young Boy Never Broke Again, which is quite a long artist name, and it's called <laughs> Late to the Party. It has that, as said, iconic kind of Little Nas X beat to it. That is just, it's such an earworm. I really, really like that. Yeah, me too. It's funny, because I think the only song I wasn't sure about after Old Town Road was the Panini one. I wasn't sure where he was going with that. But you're right. Everything he's released since then, I'm just like, yep, love it, love it, And everything he does outside of music is just entertaining too. So yeah, big, big fan of of Lil Nas X. Another big collaboration. I mentioned earlier I had some BTS news for you. So we've had the first solo venture of one of the BTS boys since they are going on a bit of a break. So um, Jungkook has teamed up with Charlie Poot for a song. Big collab. Didn't see those two. Yeah, and yeah. it really, really works. Their voices are beautiful together. This is called Left and Right. One of the BTS guys there, Chong Cook, um, teaming up with Charlie Puth. I know. As I said, not something I thought I'd see. No, and I really, as I said, like their voices together. It works really well. Maybe they'll form a new band. Who knows? <laughs> I think BTS fans will be devastated. Yeah, I think so. But something that people were not devastated about, but hugely excited about during the week. As I said, again, I was away and nearly missed this. I couldn't believe it. Queen Bee finally has dropped new music. I am so excited and this is called Break My Soul. that 
I know. I have to say, Aoife, when I found out Beyonce was releasing new music, I was so excited, but I was nervous. Yeah. I didn't know what to expect. This already, like, hasn't even been out in a week and it's already an anthem. I hadn't expected it to be a dance song. I mean, so hello, good. Aoife's dance track of the week. <laughs> if I was doing that this week, I probably would have played that. And if you didn't pick up, it is sampling the very famous Robin S's Show Me Love. Love that. Robin S has come out and said thanks so much as well to Beyonce, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's going to be off the new album. It's coming the end of July. And apparently the album's going to be a mix of dance and country. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't know what to say to that because... Okay. <laughs> I'm excited to hear Not, it though. Yeah. Well, if it's anything like this, yeah. if, if she's giving us more... And do you know what I love? Break My Soul. It goes for over five minutes. Yeah. That so, could have been our pride anthem. Yeah. I did, did see one or two votes come in for that, but it wasn't the one that won. What one, Aoife? <laughs> I know I asked you for something new this year, but I kind of knew it was going to go this way. <laughs> it oh, that, That's going to rhyme. <laughs> it's the most iconic pride anthem ever. You have voted for Lady Gaga's Born This Way on the Bellissimo Files. This is your pride anthem of 2022. It doesn't matter if you love him or capital H-I-M. You voted that, your Bellissimo Files, Pride Anthem of 2022, Lady Gaga, Born This Way. We kind of knew it was going to go that way. And, and we're not upset with that <laughs> No, either. never. Oh, it's a great way to wrap up this show. Happy Pride. I um, hope you're enjoying the weekend and celebrating. And we love, we love Pride. And yeah. Pride for us is it's really important to have it in the month of June. But we love it every single day of the year. Yes. Yeah. If you missed any of this week's show, you can catch it back up on our podcast. Just give us some time to put that up, will you? <laughs> Jess is in next. Enjoy what's left of the weekend. And Aoife and I will be back with you next weekend with Steve Carell. Bye. This is the Bellissimo Files. Exclusive to Spin.